Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, through chapter 2, verse 3. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, we have been looking at some foundational truths here. In the last couple months, we've been looking at foundational truths about God, about ourselves, and about this world that we live in as we've gone through Genesis chapter one and started this series that we're calling Origins. And uh, we are actually going back to Genesis chapter one. I think this is the fifth week in a row um, that we're jumping back in here. Uh, but before we go back to Genesis chapter one, allow me, allow me to survey the current reality of this collection of people right here. If I had to describe our collective state, right, just to kind of pinpoint the vibe of the people in this room right now, I could sum it up in one word, and that word would be tired. Tired, right? A little bit tired? Yeah, every, everybody's feeling a little bit tired. Now, it doesn't help that daylight savings time was somewhere between 2 and 3 a.m., lose an hour of sleep, right? That's part of the equation. But even if it weren't daylight savings time, it's still likely you'd stumble in here tired. Between family life, church life, the work responsibilities, what you need to do to succeed at school, the obligations of taking care of your body at gym and eating and health, the to-do list that seems to pile up and the stress and worry that complements that, it's likely that you are physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually tired, or a concoction of all of those things. Now, if you're like, I'm not tired. That's just not me. I'm feeling, I'm juiced. Now, I, I would probably, I would say it's probably due to one of two things. You're either really caffeinated, <laughs> or that the time of worship was really rejuvenating for your soul, right? But I would say the default is that we're tired. We're tired, fatigued kind of people. Now, here's, here's what I want to say to that. Good. You're tired? Good. It's, it is good that you are tired. You know why? Because it means you lived this week. As a finite creature, you took the raw resources that were available to you. And you utilized them. You, you didn't hoard your energy. You didn't stockpile your love. You didn't hold tight to your brain space, your body, or your time. You deployed those things. You, you, you used yourself. And if this is the case, your tiredness indicates that you poured yourself out so good and if you're a christian you poured yourself out 
for the glory of God. Tiredness is not necessarily a bad thing. Tiredness is a good thing. It indicates that we lived. And as we come to the end of the week where we've had bumps and bruises and nicks and scabs and scars, we've sort of doing an inventory of just the state of my heart, my soul, my mind, my body, and it seems like I am depleted beyond any kind of, uh, the idea of another task seems to be overwhelming. And as we reckon with our fatigue, the reality is there is another week ahead of us with similar, if not bigger, demands. More challenges, more projects, more things to take responsibility for and to pour ourselves out doing. Now, if, is, if this is the case, you may be wondering, how am I ever going to endure this? How am I gonna get through this? If you're really gassed, you're wondering, how can I go another mile? Now, if that's the case, if you can relate to that, any any sense of, of the matter, I've got some good news to share with you today. Now to get to that good news, I wanna first take you to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one is the beginning of beginnings, our origins. And Genesis chapter one shows us that if you think you had a busy week this week, God had a busier week than you. God's first week in creating the world is action-packed. There's such a huge workload on God, and he tackles it day one through three. God creates a habitable, habitable, I always struggle with this word, habitable infrastructure for life and flourishing. God creates the skies and the waters and the land. God puts light and sun and stars. God fills, God creates a structure for life to invade. And then he fills those structures with creatures in days four through six. We see God creating animals and fish and birds. And in in day six, the apex of God's creative efforts, he creates man and woman in his own image. And then God takes a step back and he takes it all in. This is where we find ourselves is in Genesis chapter one, verse 33, 31, excuse me. It says, And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So as the sixth day comes to a close, God takes a look at everything that he's done and he goes, if I was translating the Bible, this is what God would say, wowzers. (laughs) This is incredible. This is very good. Now, if, if you remember a couple of weeks back, I called out this cadence of days one through six where God creates something, he speaks, something comes into existence and he says, this is good. He, he ascribes a value to it saying, this is good. Now, on day six, the poetic cadence of creation is modified where God was originally saying, this is good to now on day six, he says, this is very good. Now, what this tells us is that God doesn't make junk. God makes good things. God makes beautiful things. 
One commentator says, creation before and apart from sin is holy and unambiguously good, very good. Now, this is, this is an important thing to remember as Christians. In fact, one of the first heresies that the early church had to deal with was Gnosticism that says the created world is not good. And it said that salvation is to, is to be a, a spiritual kind of salvation that's devoid of the physical, right? They had a very, uh, they had a disdain for what God had created. And if we have a disdain for what God has created, we have a disdain for the creator because God has created things very good. And he states his pleasure. The sun sets, the sun rises, and now it's day seven. And you wonder, what's God gonna do today? Now, as we take a look at day seven, there are three things that I want to call your attention to about the seventh day. And here's the first one. First thing is the finality of God's creational work. The finality, he's done. He's, he's done creating. Take a look at this. Verse two, or verse one of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And so we see here that God is, is donezo. Creation is done. It's finished. Heaven and earth are made and furnished. That's what it's talking about with the host of them. God had filled every species, every star has been created. Everything God wanted to create in those six days, God did, and he created them perfectly. It's done exactly the way he wants it to be done. There are no mistakes. There's no punch list for next week, right? If you've ever done a project, I think I, I had been up until like a couple weekends ago, I had been working on my kitchen for like a solid nine months straight, all right? Because there's always that one thing that I forgot to get to and I'll get to it some other time. God had no punch list to get to. There's no edits. There's no tweaks. Creation is done and God is satisfied with it. Now, if, you're a, if, a, if you are a DIYer, this is impressive, especially with a project of this magnitude. Every project that I've ever done isn't ever necessarily finished. It's just good enough, <laughs> right? It's satisfactory to get by, to move on to the next thing and just put it away for a while because there's always something else that I can do to improve it whether it's my kitchen floors or painting uh, the, the dining room or an aqueduct project that I helped my son with a couple weeks ago. There's always something that can be done to improve the work that I've done, but that's not the case with God. When God's done, it's done and good, very good. And this speaks to the reality of how excellent God is. Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. So the heavens, as God has created them in those six days, declares the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Romans 1.19 testifies much the same. It says, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So the fact that God has the power to create and the divine nature that God is good, so what he makes is good, it's been clearly perceived ever since the beginning of creation in the world, in things that have been made. God's creation demonstrates the glory of God. The finality of God's creational work, and it is good, very good. Now, the second thing that we need to see is in verse two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The second thing we need to see here in this passage is that God rested. God doesn't just jump straight into the next project. God stops his creative work and he rests. Now, mind you, God is not like coming home from work, kicking his shoes off and just collapsing on the couch. God doesn't have a achy back or tired feet. There's no creative block going on here with God. God doesn't need to rest. He's not worn out. He's not overwhelmed. In fact, if God wanted to run it back and do it all over again, he could, and he could do it twice as fast if he wanted. Now, this is one thing that most poignantly differentiates us from God. When we work hard, when we exert ourselves, when we pour ourselves out, we get tuckered out, right? We're the ones collapsing on the couch after a long day. Our brain, our body gets taxed because we are finite. God is infinite. He's infinite in power. There is no shortage to his energy, to his juice. God can keep on going. He's the the OG energizer buddy. And if God is full of power, if he's not tired, it makes you wonder, why would he rest then? What's what's the need for God to take a break on the seventh day if he's not tired? Well, Jesus actually tells us what the Sabbath, that seventh day was made for in Mark chapter two, verse seven. Jesus says that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That this day that God takes on the seventh day isn't a rest for himself. God is establishing a, a rhythm of rest that is most humane for humans to work six days and to work hard for six days and then to have one day of rest. And that seventh day, that, that day of rest is called the Sabbath, which, which means to stop, the day of stopping. And the Sabbath day would become a defining trait of God's people. And though it was practiced before the time of the Exodus, it became explicit with the fourth commandment that, that God gave to Moses. In Exodus 20, verse eight through 11 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock. So even animals are included in this. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So here he is, God, as he he gives the commandments to the Israelites, is tying this back. This commandment goes back to the creational order. 
For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now there's a secondary context here to the passage here, Genesis chapter two. Of course, this is telling us what's happening in the creative norm as God works six days, takes a seventh day off. But this is a, a uh, the book of Genesis was written by Moses. As God's people were navigating their way through the wilderness after God had brought them out of Egyptian slavery. So in giving, in giving this fourth commandment, what God is doing to his people, he's working to restore the Israelites' humanity. For many, many years, God's people were dehumanized as slaves. Under Pharaoh's reign, they had seven-day work weeks, and it was grueling, demanding physical labor. And so here, as Moses recounts the creation of the cosmos, as, as he calls people to the commandments of God, this is in the backdrop. God is trying to restore the humanity of his people by giving them a Sabbath day. Now, in our day, in our economy, it is good to remember that you are not a work robot. Life is more than productivity and production. The bottom line doesn't say it all. Yes, we are given work. We have been created to work. God gave us the cultural mandate to fill the earth, subdue it, to exercise dominion, which is part of the work, which is actually pre-fall. So, so work is not a product of sin in the world, although work becomes difficult because of sin and the curse of sin. We're given work, but ultimately, humans are created for God. Not for work. We are created to work, but we're created for God. And the Sabbath day is a special day that helps us remember that we do not belong to our work, we belong to God. And this is the third thing about the seventh day that I wanna call your attention to, that, that the Sabbath day is literally a special day. Look at verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. To make it holy means to be set apart. It, 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 um, it breaks the norm. Now we would say that all of life is sacred, that there's no, no secular sacred divide. It's, it's all to be done unto the Lord, but there is this clear breaking of pattern here with the seventh day that it's been, it's been made holy, it's been sanctified, it's been set apart, it breaks the normal schedule and breaks the workload. And so this makes the Sabbath day unique. Not only that, not only is it set apart as holy, but we're told that is a day that is blessed. God blessed the day. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Sabbath is a day that is full of blessing. Now, this is interesting to me, and I, I, I found myself thinking on this a lot this week. Um, the thing that stood out to me is 
that the only other things that are called blessed in these first six days of creation are creatures and mankind. God didn't bless the sun. God didn't bless the stars. But he, he blessed creatures and humanity. And that's because God's blessing is linked to procreation. This is a theme that, that continues throughout the scriptures. You're reading through uh, the, the beginnings of, of the Bible and you see these stories of women who are barren. This, this does not mean that they're cursed, but there, there is a, a connection between um, fruitfulness and blessing. And so God, we see this in the creative order where God creates creatures and man and says, fill the earth to, to procreate, to fill the earth and 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 multiply. Now, why bless a day? Why, why is the Sabbath day blessed? A, a day of the week cannot procreate, right? We're stuck with seven days. Here's why. Whereas creatures are created to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the land or fill the earth and the seas and the sky. The Sabbath is created and blessed to fill up and restore creatures from their past fruitfulness and to enable future fruitfulness. So as creatures are to fill the earth and to multiply, the Sabbath is a day that is made for creatures to be filled up and restored from past fruitfulness and to enable future fruitfulness. So this means that the Sabbath day is generative. The Sabbath day has this ability to, to fill up what was lacking, to fill up what has been expended, to propagate and to build up and to multiply creatures. And this tells us something glorious about God. That God created the seventh day and he blessed it and set it apart because God wants you to rest. God wants you to rest. Now, the rest that God wants for you is a particular kind of rest. It's just as the day has been set apart, as it's been made holy, as it's been sanctified, so too should our rest be. If you go back to Exodus 20, where it talks about the Sabbath day, God giving them the Sabbath day, it's a Sabbath unto the Lord. There is a sacredness to the kind of rest that God wants for us to engage in. It's not a selfish kind of, of self-indulgence where I just like, I lay up on the couch all day, just veg out, check out, ignore the people in my life. It's not that sort of unplug, detach, isolate kind of a rest. The kind of rest that God intends for us to have is a kind of intentional engagement and communion with God. Think of it like Psalm 23. David speaks of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and he guides me and he leads me. He brings me beside still waters. In the cool grass I sit. Now, the, the refreshing, and he says literally, 
he restores my soul. So it's not the still waters, it's not the cool grass that necessarily restores his soul. It's God and David's fellowship with God, the communion that he has with God that restores his soul. This is the kind of rest Sabbath that we were created to enjoy and take part in. There's, it's a day with one appointment. It's a day with one task for you to engage in, and that is to be in the presence of God. We do this through worship and prayer, scripture reading by assembling with the saints, by resting, by eating good meals, silence and solitude, by laughter and enjoying the people and things that God has put around us. These are ways that we engage with God and his good gifts. Now, while I speak against the selfish indulgence of, of sort of a false Sabbath, this doesn't mean that the rest that God invites us into doesn't include naps or recreation or hobbies. I think it does include those things, but those things are meant to be God-oriented as good gifts from a good father who gives them. And the reason why we are to worship and pray and be in scripture and assemble and take time to enjoy God and his creation is because only when we are rightly oriented with God, only when we're communing with God, can, can God restore us wholly and fully. That all of the damage and expenditures of last week get reimbursed to us so that we can be pushed back out into the world to keep doing the good work which we've been saved to do. See, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift where God not just gives us rest, not just uh, the invitation to, to just take a day off, like to stop doing your work. It's an invitation to be fully present with God. Yet we often push back against this creational design of six days of work and one day of rest. And I think this really happens. There's two ways to fall off a horse here, okay? The first way is that you overwork or have no rest. Second way is to partake in some kind of counterfeit rest, a, a pseudo Sabbath. Now, if you are overworking and, and you do not prioritize rest or communion with God on the Sabbath day, I think that it can probably likely reveals one of two things. Either you are using your work to self-justify you're trying to prove yourself through productivity and achievement so that you can validate your existence. So at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you can hold up, here's all the things that I did. I took no breaks and I was able to accomplish that. And this validates my existence now. You use work as an idol to make yourself feel good. So that's one way. That's one way that we're driven into overworking. The other way that we're driven into overworking is not necessarily about trying to prove myself, but it's out of a, a sense of fear, anxiety, and worry. I, it's the mentality that I cannot cease working because if I don't take care of this, God won't take care of me. 
If I just step back for a day, I don't get that money. I don't get those resources that I think I knew. What happens then? It seems like the world falls apart around me. We, we carry this mentality that if, if I don't work, God won't work for me. And so fear and worry drives us into exhaustion and grinding until we're down to the bone. Overwork, overwork shows that we do not value the creative order of Sabbath. The other way that we tend to downplay the value, the beauty, the glory, the gift of the Sabbath is by opting for counterfeit rest that is not God-centered, but me-centered. Rather than engaging with God, Rather than opening up my Bible and opening up my heart, instead I numb myself. I, I detach from God. I, I think of Bible reading as a chore. Think of prayer time as boring and I don't engage or commune with God in the way that he has wired me to. And so in doing that, I push God away and I insist on me time. Those, those little things that seem to offer me some kind of sustenance, if I just veg out here for a minute, if I just detach from the real world for a minute, then I'll kind of catch a breather. But to have a pseudo-Sabbath is like having a sugar diet. A pseudo-Sabbath is like eating only sugar. Because you can eat only sugar and you can get that, that sugar buzz, right? You can get that little zap that's gonna get you going that makes you feel like, okay, now we're really cooking. But guess what? That sugar crash is coming. It's only a matter of minutes before you tank. And this has become very real to me this week because I have cut out sugar from my diet and the last three days I have just been blah. Right? You get that little kick, but there's a big crash. That's the way it is with our pseudo-Sabbaths. It makes us unable to recoup what we have poured out. These pseudo-Sabbaths put us in a terrible position to pour ourselves out once again in the coming week. They just can't do it. They can't fill you up. Now, let me show you. When you violate the Sabbath, when you downplay the importance of the Sabbath, you are not just rejecting God's creational limits and the fact that he made you a finite creature. You're not just rejecting the creational cadence of work six days and rest a day. You're not just breaking the fourth commandment in God's law. What you're doing is you are rejecting God himself. You're saying, Lord, I'm too tired to engage with you. It's too exhausting for me to come into your presence. I have more important things to do. I'm not gonna make money doing this. This isn't gonna feed my family. And what happens when we just submit to or, or subscribe to this sort of mindset is we thrust ourselves into an inhumane existence. Right, the Sabbath was to help establish and maintain our humanity, but when we reject it, 
We insist on life our own way, which is always an inhumane kind of existence that just compounds futility. In fact, this is one of the sentiments that the prophet Isaiah says in, in, 50, in Isaiah 57, verse 20, says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. This is where the, 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 the phrase, there ain't no rest for the wicked, comes from. Right? To, to push away, to say, no, I, I can do it my own, God. I don't, there's no rest in that. In fact, restlessness is one of the ways that hell is described. Do you know that? Yeah, there's like the inferno-y type pictures the, that, that gives us this idea of what hell is like. But here in Revelation 14, it says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast, so this idol worship and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name, right? There's no rest for the wicked. Now, I know I am guilty personally of not Sabbathing well in both of these ways. I, I, I oftentimes fall off the horse one way or the other. And I would bet that you too share the same track record. Now, the good news of this is that, that God doesn't just push us over to our own futility and say, you chose, you chose to keep grinding, you chose to keep working, you chose to do it by your own strength, your own power, have it your way. God doesn't do this. The good news is that Jesus has come to save us from our sin. He's come to save us from our own futility, our own rebellion, trying to live life on our own terms, especially as we push against the creational norm of six days of work, one day of rest. And Jesus comes to save us from our sin. And in doing so, he offers us true and lasting rest. This is the kind of rest that you come into church looking for every Sunday, to be deburdened, to, to have that reprieve, to have that rest for your soul that just slides out through the rest of the week. See, Jesus comes, and Jesus comes to work. Jesus says, my father has been working until now. And I too have been working. Jesus came to earth to work and do what we could not do. Jesus perfectly kept not just the Sabbath command, but all of the commands that God had given. And by keeping God's commandments perfectly, Jesus was deemed righteous and good and very good. Jesus, we're told, God was pleased with his son. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus came to work and he accomplished the redeeming work that the father sent him to do. Now watch this. What did Jesus do? Jesus poured himself out. Jesus did not withhold anything. All of his energy, all of his love, all of every little fiber of his being, Jesus poured that out so that we would be saved and then filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was poured out so that we could be filled. Then what? Just as God rested on the seventh day, after the cross, then the resurrection, he ascends into heaven and we're told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you know what that means? Jesus' work of salvation 
It is donezo. It's finished. He said that on the cross. It is finished. And in this act of salvation, what we're told is that Christ is recreating us. Ephesians 2 says, we heard it already, that you in Christ are his workmanship, that God didn't mess up in saving you. God doesn't have to go back to the drawing board and try to tinker and do this and this and this so that salvation would work for you. If you are in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, you are saved. Redemption has been accomplished. Jesus got it right. And the gift of salvation is that we get to enter into the true rest of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says, just Jesus' words, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Are you tired? Is your body aching? Is your soul just running on fumes? Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a gift. Now, this is one of the things that that makes Christianity different than every other world religion where Jesus says it is finished. Other religions say, keep trying harder. Prove yourself more. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. It's finished. He says, then take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, just because Jesus invites us into rest doesn't mean that our whole existence is then rest. Because again, we're created to work. Even go back to Ephesians 2. You are God's workmanship created for good works. But the good works that we are called to do are the works of Christ. And Jesus says they're easy and his burden is light. And the reason why it's burdened, his burden easy and light is because the spirit of God, which dwells within each and every believer is working to produce good works. It's, it's enabling us. It's the energy that God supplies so that we can do what God has called us to do. And so when we Sabbath and we lean into that deep rest that Christ offers, we're reminded again that we are filled up by God. And it's that fueling of the spirit that enables us to go back out and do hard things next week. It's because Jesus' work is finished that Christians get to start the week off with rest. In in the Jewish world, the Sabbath was the seventh day, the seventh day is Saturday. The resurrection happened on Sunday. This is the beginning of of the new creation with Christ's resurrection. It's the start of the new day. And with that, the church has always observed Sunday as the Lord's day. And so as Christians, we get to start our week from a place of rest. We don't have to prove ourselves first and then enter the rest. Jesus has worked and accomplished the work for us. And as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are sent to do God's work by God's power. 
And, and the more that we learn to draw from the energy of the spirit, right? The power of God working in me, this power of God that he supplies, the less we're reliant upon the flesh to get things done. The more I draw from God, the more invigorated I am in my work. And it's by the gospel and the filling of the Holy Spirit that Christians are enabled to press on and to thrive to lean into the Sabbath, to receive the gift of rest, and then go work hard again. If we get this backwards, if we think it's our work first, and then we get to, we've missed it. It's because Christ has done it, because Christ's body has been broken, his blood has been shed. The work is done, and we get to receive the gift of Christ. So let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this gospel of good news that enables us not only reprieve from our burdens and, and challenges of life under the sun, but the fact that your spirit supplies every need that we have. We pray, Lord, as we receive these elements, as we eat and drink, that our, our souls would be filled and refueled for another week's worth of good works, which you've called us to do. We pray that your spirit would become more um, of a factor in our lives as we are sanctified, as our, as our hearts and minds were transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the, the son, Jesus Christ. We pray the spirit would move us to accomplish your work by your means. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 